Hi, and welcome to Let Spirit Lead. I'm Cecil Williams, and in this interview, you'll meet Shamali Arda, who is a Yogini and women's wisdom keeper. Shamali is a master in decoding ancient wisdom teachings and myths. And in this amazing interview, she shares with us about the power of the Dark Goddess and how she helps to initiate us on our spiritual path so we can awaken and remember our own truth, our own wisdom. This interview was recorded on Lucia, which is a celebration in Sweden on 13th December, where we celebrate the light in the darkness. And I feel it was so fitting it was recorded on this day, because to me, that is what Shamali represents, the light in the darkness. So let's head over to this amazing interview now. Hi, Shamali. Thank you for being here with us today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for coming. I am so, so honored to be invited into this gathering. Yeah, and as I said to you before, I've heard about you for a long, long time. But in those days, when I lived in Sweden, I first heard about you. Um, the goddess had not called me, but now <laughs> she has big time. So we're going to be talking today about, well, the dark goddess wisdom, and we'll just see where the conversation takes us. But I would really like to find out how did it start for you? How did she call you? Mm. Mm. Well, I, um, I very early in my life was introduced to spirituality. I went to India when I was 20, started to practice meditation, and I had you know, wonderful realizations of a dimension of myself uh, deeper than all the personal suffering that I was experiencing at the time. But what I also experienced was that a lot of my experiences were labeled in this spiritual map as problems to be fixed. So I, I found myself in a constant fight against my own nature. And I also experienced this painful split between the, my inner experience and the way I lived my life. And I couldn't find that bridge in the maps and paths that I was following. When I was sitting in meditation, I had this realization of, of love, universal love. But when I opened my eyes and my partner started to speak, you know, my enlightenment was gone. And my, you know, these patterns that look very similar as my parents' patterns it took over. And I just realized that there there is another piece to the spiritual journey that has to do with embodiment. And there we don't have so many maps that fits, um, you know, this expression as a modern woman in the West today. So this was the beginning of, of gathering with women to explore, okay, how does awake consciousness express itself through the female form? And in that, you know, the core of that practice is actually to tolerate to be in the unknown so that we don't reach for the, you know, the instructions that we have gathered from the patriarchy because it won't guide us in this next step in our spirituality. For me to meet the goddess has been like being in the room with lots of mirrors. She comes in so many forms. And all of a sudden, I recognized, you know, a goddess who was like Kali, who was pissed off and full of passion and, and 
kind of fierce love. I saw Inanna, who was, you know, full of lust and erotic desire. I saw Divine Mother, so, uh, you know, so beautiful in her compassion. And I began to see so many aspects of myself that I had learned, you know, that I had labeled as not holy. So for me to meet her was like to, was a retrieval of a wholeness uh, to risk that, oh, all of these can also be divine expressions. And of course, particularly the, the dark goddess, you know, she can feel, she can seem so scary and so brutal. But for me, she, she's the kindest guide because she won't tolerate me to settle for anything less than the real deal. Mm. You see, mm. that's my experience with her too. I feel that she's so loving and compassionate and she's just loving. And she comes with that very potent medicine and it becomes, at least for me, it becomes uh, pain and suffering when I resist it. But when I let her, when I allow her in, the transformation is just extraordinary. It bypasses your conscious mind she came to me really strongly I know I share this uh, quite many times on the summit but it was after my mom died and I'd already been working with the goddess for a while but that's when heal came to me in my deep grief and she came in a meditation and she I was just I was in grief and I was in anger <laughs> I was I had all that stuff coming up and I didn't know what to do with it and I was trying to do some shamanic stuff on it just just would not shift so she came and she just stood behind me and she opened up my nervous system she came and made like a little slice on over my third eye up over my crown and then all the way down my spine and then I could feel her fire behind me and she just said just just let me take it and she started to pull out all this horrific poison and stuff that went all the way back through ancestrally. I mean, my mind could not even comprehend where it was coming from. And she was doing that until it felt as if there was like a, an ease. And then she said, now visit with me often. And I would be visiting with her several times per week. And it taught me that she, she's there for us. And there had always been that fear of the darkness, you know, resisting me from journeying down there and instead chasing the light <laughs> that I think many of us do at the beginning when we start our spiritual journey, constantly being in that mind's space. And it's like we have been missing that huge missing link to our own, our own wisdom that is held, I feel, there in the feminine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Heel, Heel, the Greek goddess Heel became hell. I know. How crazy yeah. is that? Mm -hmm. How crazy is that? Instead of to heal, to make whole, which is what she means in our language, you know. Heel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy, but it was a very effective programming in making us scared of our own power. Our yes. own wisdom. Or like in your course, I did your course now about the Medusa. So genius the way you translated it. I mean, it's just amazing. And then we realized, like you say, that these myths are maps. Yeah. Would you like to elaborate on that? Because some people may go, what? what do they mean? What do they mean? But they really are maps into that 
Absolutely. Oh. One of my favorite myths is actually from our, our ancestries from the north. I'm from Norway, you're from Sweden. And um, it is, a, it is a, a story of the three, uh, three Valkyries. These are Valkyries as kind of deities. Uh, and also they are priestesses and deities of the goddess Hel. Mm-hmm. And these three Valkyries, they are landing on a beach and they have swan feathers on. And when they land on the beach, they take off the bird wings, the bird feathers. And they are these beautiful women swimming in the, in the lake. This lake is called the Wolf Lake, and it is in the Wolf Valley. And when they're bathing, three, uh, these, these are called, uh, it's like, like, they are like elves, elfins, uh, goldsmiths, three brothers, and they see them, and they begin to talk to each other. And at the end of the day, they were curious, they agree to marry these three brothers, and they move in together. And they live together for seven years. And the bird wings are kept in the attic in the chest. The eighth year they are married, the three sisters start to lose their zest of life. They start to long for home. They are not joyful anymore. They stop singing. They stop cooking beautiful food. And in the ninth year, One night when the brothers are out hunting for food, the three sisters move up to the attic. They put on their wings and they fly up out of the house and into the dark forest where they return to heal their their goddess, their mother. The brothers, they come home and full of grief, they start to look for their beloveds and they realize they're gone. And the two of the brothers, they, they run out trying to look for their wives. One of the brothers is married to a wife called Rune, and she's, that's the sacred symbol. Mm. The other one, she's called sacred space. But the third brother, he stays inside. He's married to the Valkyria called Alvitr, which is all-encompassing, knowing, wisdom. And he realized that in order to find her, he has to stay home and he starts to, to make gold rings and he's searching for that perfect ring. And in this symbolism, the ring is the wisdom within ourselves. So he realized that only way he can find her is to create that golden ring, golden ring within himself. And the story goes on and on and on. But the way that we practice with this myth is to see that every part of the myth is ourselves. And that the house and the brothers, all of this is part of our own body. Yeah. Some of us are trained in the yogic map and we will recognize the chakra body of seven years, seven centers, and how our consciousness evolves and, uh, until it moves up and it transcends but in all the goddess map you will see that the spirit transcends up and then it returns down again mm-hmm. that it is a cycle that there isn't the path is not a journey out of here it always is to return home to uh to heal the dark the source of all things and then the cycle continues like this 
So in, in embodied mythology, we would always just look at all the different names of the goddesses, the wings. We would bring all of it into to practice and, and realize that all of these are doors opening into our own awakening journey. Mm. And I love that, that it's also so similar in so many different traditions. It's like I, I first studied uh, like the Inca tradition and then stepping into the Norse and the Celtic and realizing, wow, they're saying virtually the same thing, like with Yggdrasil, with the serpent, with the roots. And then it's like Yggdrasil, it's like a nervous system and it's rising and then it goes up and you have the eagle and the hawk, which is the third eye. And then you have that, as you also mentioned in your Medusa course, but you have that serpent, the winged serpent as a symbol of the goddess in so many different traditions. And it's, so we know it through our stories. We know it from our ancestral past. And yeah. perhaps now it's the time for that to rise again as a, as a medicine to help in this birth that we are going through. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's helpful to return to the tree as a map for our spiritual journey. I love that symbol because it is really showing us that it's, it has deep roots. And as we ascend and we begin to have more of a clear perspective, more wider perspective, as we rise up the branches, we don't leave the roots. You know, that the roots are growing equally downwards as we rise upwards. And one beautiful part of the Yggdrasil map, the Yggdrasil is the Norse uh, you know, world tree, is that between the serpent and the eagle, there's a squirrel and he runs back and forth and he's sending messages from the roots to the, to the wings up and down. But what is also beautiful with him is that he's a little irritating. So he keeps kind of creating a little bit of a drama between the two. Yeah. And uh, you know, we can also practice with that within ourselves, just like the how, what is that quality within us that can travel through the different dimensions and, and also symbolize the friction we oftentimes feel between our roots and our wings uh, to such an extent that, you know, in, in, in so much of our indoctrination, we even perceive them as two different things. Like Einstein, he calls it the optical illusion of the human mind, that we separate in that way. And then, of course, we have great ideologies and religions that kind of emphasize this split that, oh, stay away from the roots and the matter and the dark and the body and the flesh. And then, you know, our, our journey is freedom that is found outside of her. And of course, in the goddess map, that is the same as turning our back at the goddess herself. And it will no matter how successful we become, how bright and light and rosy things become, it will intrinsically be rooted in suffering because it is split off in that. It is fragmented. It will never lead us to that union that our hearts know is, knows is possible. Yeah, exactly. And it's like when you, at least I, for me, when I first started, I started to go off into, you know, healing your minds and all of that. And I, I love what Helena Montelius actually said in her interview that we then can have this belief that if we're just, you know, good little soldiers to God, then all our lives will be blessed and we won't have any suffering. And then obviously life is suffering. And then you experience 
perhaps someone's, someone dies or you go through bankruptcy or you get an illness and then you start to beat yourself up because you must have done something wrong in your thinking since this shouldn't be happening if I'm just focusing on the love and the light and expansion and just being good all the time. And it kind of brings us down to our knees after a while. So what is your, what is your advice here to the listeners when they experience this? It's so beautiful the way you put it, because one of the advice <laughs> is to realize that it is so, and that that part of us that believes that, oh, if I only am a good girl, I'm going to get the reward, is so internalized, is so deep embedded in how we move in the world. Mm. I can share from my experience, you know, after 30 years of practice with the goddess, following the maps of the dark goddess, you know, for so long, just the last years, you know, I personally, I, you know, I lost my son just a few months ago. He died in an accident. And yeah, it's been, you know, like you are describing, you, you, you know, I'm thrown to my knees. And in that I discover not only that was is, is combined with so many losses this last year. And I'm so aware of that part that think that if I only do, you know, if I only process this, if I only I do it right, then I'm going to get the relief. I'm going to get the reward. Or if bad things happen, as like I, you, I don't know how many times I've been, you know, howling to the goddess, like how could you, you know, like it's like she betrayed me. Yeah, she betrayed that contract, which is a very kind of primal contract, where I think that oh, if I just be, you know, what you want me to be, I'm going to get the reward, and that's when we are. That's what we are speaking about when we speak about her kindness, that it feels brutal when she doesn't live up to that expectation. But it is kindness because if she did, we would spend our life in, in a lie, yeah? mm-hmm. that we wouldn't have that real initiation. That has to do with, with being fully in what is. You know, there is a, even when we meet our goddess, there is an assumption that we should, we, we're going to find her meaning or her, you know, her goodness or, but her meaning is that she is. And in being fully initiated in that, we are initiated into life in such a profound way that we can't think our way through. Like it's a organic, you know, cell to cell compost process where all of these ideas that we humans can be exempt from the way she moves, the way all things move, which is living, dying, you know, death-threatening, composting, regeneration, like all of this is how things move here. And for some bizarre reason, you know, human beings, we think we can be outside it. Yeah, we can be, we can be above it. And in that, we pay the price that we don't belong anymore. We, we don't have, you know, we have offered our dignity, our honor, our, even our sacred duty that we actually matter here. And, you know, secretly, we all know that we are parasites here on earth right now. Yeah. It's like we go around with such a shame that we, you know, consume and consume and distract and distract in order not to, to face it. So part of our practice is to tolerate all of these layers and come back to 
you know, the outside my window now, you know, all the of nature, my beautiful garden is all surrendering to the death of the winter. And we can romanticize that, but if you actually feel into the trees and the flowers, this is a brutal movement they are part of right now. Everything is dying, rottening, but it's such a surrender. There's no idea that it shouldn't be so, I assume. <laughs> and then, of course, that same surrender is fully there when the springtime comes. Yeah, They mm. surrender to their beauty, to that kind of unbashedly expression of who they are. And it is so clearly that it goes together. Yeah. But for us humans, yeah, we think we can only have the light or the expression of the activity or the productivity without the dormant, without the dying, without the shedding, it all, you know, results in such an erotic human presence. Yeah, we are not only killing our own bodies, but we are killing our, our, the big body that feeds us. Yeah. No, it's insane. It's absolutely mm. insane. And it's obviously from um, like a logical level, you can see that if you're only there in the mind and the light and all of that, and you try to manifest from that, which we have tried for a long time, but you bypass the womb space, you know, the darkness, then you will never, you will never experience that, that true manifestation that comes through her. And I think when I saw that from my mind, I went, yeah, that makes sense. So it's like I could then kind of ease myself into, yeah, I turn it down, I turn it down. One thing I found, though, is that, yes, it is brutal, absolutely. But what I felt was that when I surrender to that brutality, I also experience grace within that grief, within that pain, within that which is falling away. And I hadn't realized that until I fully surrendered into it. It's like, it's like she meets you and holds you in that. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. And like you said, even if you know it conceptually, you cannot, you cannot, you can't know it's it only when fall, it's, yeah, it's only when falling apart, you can know who holds you. Yeah. You know, it, know it for real. Yeah. For that, it's just a concept. Yeah. And then once you've experienced it, you really have experienced it, then although it's hard each time, at least for me, I, I trust it more. Yeah. Yeah. And that helps. It's yeah. like the mind doesn't freak out as much. It still does a little bit, but it knows that it's beyond its own control. It can't control it. It just has to surrender. And the wisdom traditions from all over the world are, are inviting us to, to voluntarily engage in this process before the tragedy happened, before at the end of our lives where all of us will be you know, offered onto the compost pile of the goddess. Uh, you know, it is the Seydrkuna, the, the medicine woman, the shaman, the midwives, the herbalist, all of this have, since the beginning of time, we have followed this map of initiation where we die before we die, where we, instead of running away, we turn and face and even honor and celebrate the death parts of the life-death cycle so that we can be in wholeness, we can be in union. The, there's a beautiful map uh, that is one of our oldest written down poems we have in the world. It's the, the, the myth of Inanna, the Sumerian goddess, six, five, six years, 6,000 years ago. 
where this beautiful goddess of the heavens, queen of the heavens, queen of the earth, she's the sky god's daughter. She descends down to earth. She marries a human king. And then she begins to have to have, you know, the experience of more human feelings and jealousy and lust and all of these things. And, but then her intuition also calls her to go even deeper. And it says that she puts her ears to the great below and she decides to go into the underworld to meet her dark sister down there. And it is such a beautiful map because we see this goddess voluntarily go down in the underworld, which is not something most would do, but she does. And there she has to go through seven gates. Each gate she has to sacrifice that which identifies her as this brilliant goddess. The, the crown is laid down, her breastplate, seven gates until she reached the underworld completely stripped naked and she's crawling to the ground and then she faces her her dark sister and i like to think about inanna there because i recognize myself so much that in that moment i'm sure there's a part of her that think that now i'm going to get my reward look at me how much i've sacrificed yeah <laughs> like i've done my practice i've done my process i've done my healing but up until that moment she have somehow been in control and then there comes that shift where she cannot do it anymore, where the process is doing her. This is that shamanic initiation that we all are invited into. And that's where the goddess, the dark goddess doesn't give her reward. She takes her body too. She takes even that part of Inanna that, that thinks that, oh, look at me, I sacrifice. Look, I'm such a good practitioner. Look at me now, I'm going to get the reward. Even that has to die. And then she is, her body is hung on a hook to rot. And similar to Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, she hangs there for three days, three nights and three days. So until her priestess on the surface knows that something has gone wrong, there's this rescue mission, and then she ascends again. On her way up, she puts on the crown, she puts on the clothes, she puts on everything. But now she has known herself without these roles, these masks. She has seen who she is deeper than all of this. And she, that can never be unseen. So now she still plays the game, but she has a certain clear seeing and a maturity because now she is an initiated goddess, initiated woman. And this map is just, you know, so, so glorious. And then it is said that she actually, you know, her, her king also has to go down through that same initiation for them to have a true partnership. Again, every part of the myth is, is part of ourselves. And it just shows that, like, we can recognize the same map in Odin in the Norse. He is hanging for nine, nine days. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ has to go down for three days. It's like this shamanic initiation into you know, where we begin to see through the, through the surface veils and we see that we have deeper roots. Our sense of self is not the roles we play. There is a deeper wisdom for us when we are willing to die before we die. Because what is dying is just the roles. It's not who we are. Mm, wow. I could listen to you for hours. I really, really <laughs> could. As some, that is such a powerful, powerful description of that initiation of that journey 
So now in today's world, it is as if we've all been initiated into the dark goddess domain. And I'm sure most of us are feeling quite about that. So what do you see here? What, what advice do you have here? What do you feel that the dark goddess <laughs> would like to share with us in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a guide and a map. Well, I see, you know, spiritual practice and that spiritual awakening as one of the most practical and needed aspect that we can bring to the world today. It's not like an esoteric afterthought or something that happens separated from life. Because for us to, to navigate through the world today with such a clashing opinions, such a fixed worldviews that are so far apart, like we are literally, you know, because of algorithm, we are... We are guided into literally completely different worldviews. And because we have seen it with our own eyes, we think that it is the truth (laughs) and forgetting that we only see, you know, one see the trunk of the elephant, one see the tail. But the problem today is that everybody insists that they see the whole. That we can never, ever, ever move forward. So for us to kind of remember that we are not the roles we are playing. We are not our opinions. Those are coming and going. And there's nothing wrong with having strong opinions or stand up for your values and all of these things. But the problem begins if you forget that it's not who you are. Because then if somebody comes with a different opinion, you feel that you, your life is threatened. Yeah? But if you are rooted in a sense of self that is deeper than these roles, you can meet another with another opinion and we can still <laughs> live together, yeah? And because this world, the solution of all of this is not that everybody will agree. We will, n- the, the very nature of God is, is diversity. So our, our yoga is to stretch our sense of self so that we can tolerate differences, even celebrate them, stand up for our values, have opinions, but hold them a little loosely so that we don't end up in that clinch that we have seen for thousands and thousands of years. Like, my God is better than your God. Let's kill each other. I mean, we have done it. We have seen it doesn't lead anywhere. You know, my truth is better than your truth. Let's now, you know, separate and never talk to each other again. So for me, the, that is one aspect to root ourselves, to be willing to hold our opinions and roles loosely. Not with an idea that it will ever go away. We will always do that, have identities and values and all of this. But to know ourselves in a bigger way, deeper roots, and then also to practice, to exercise our tolerance for feelings so that we don't have to split off from ourselves into a conceptual abstract world, but we can actually allow feelings to flow through us to feel shame when we have done something wrong, to feel, um, to feel grief, to feel anger, to feel all of these energies that moves through us because they are, they are Shakti, they are life force energy, that, that they are how goddess expresses herself. So when we numb down and cut off and split off and fragment, we are fragmenting ourselves and her. So these are our ways that comes to me. And also one last thing and that I'm 
passionate about in my own exploration. And that is just to see that the most immediate way we give away our power is to forget that we are creative beings, that we are made of creativity, that that which is expressing itself through the forest and the garden and the oceans that are moving the planets, that are growing the leaves on the trees, that are rottening them and is, is moving you and me right now. It's growing the hair on my head. It's beating the heart in my chest. Like I am made of the same that moves the planets. I am made of an incredible creative force. And to remember that is also to remember that, that we can create something different as we move forward. We don't have to repeat the patterns, but it takes, it takes a lot of yoga to, to, to create new patterns. Like I'm doing painting, like I'm doing a painting class. And every painting class I spend just trying to move my hands in different patterns because I see I go into default symbols, default patterns. Like it's like, oh, I'm always doing this. I always reach for that color. And then I stretch. It's like a yoga of like, okay, how does it is to do another? Why don't I do another pattern? And then what, when I do it, something happens in my brain where I see that in my life, I suddenly have access to different, like more possibility. Dance is the same thing. We can move ourselves into change, into new patterns. It's developing that neuroplasticity. Yeah. Where you're starting yeah. to change it. And I, on that journey, when I met Hiel at that time, I had, I had Freya. She hadn't worked with me before that, but she took me, and I didn't know anything of these different landscapes then, but she took me first to the land of ice. And I saw everything that was frozen in my, in myself, in my nervous system, in my programming, and I, not just mine, but the ancestrally. And then she took me to meet Hiel. And then through Hiel's fire, that started to melt and thaw. And all of that started to first be visible where I could see all the stuff that was rotting and horrible and poisonous, and then life could come through. And it, I got that image now when you were talking because it's like all those old patterns of being divisive and being judgmental and I'm right and you're wrong and all that's that war. It's like they're stuck like frozen patterns in our neurology, not just in ours, but also ancestrally. And then we inherit that kind of genetic insane code. But as we then and I do, as you were talking, it's like the mother is coming there, like a loving mother, just loving all her children in all their complexity and all their diversity. And through that love, this can then start to thaw as we're meeting it with that acceptance. And then we can start to weave something new into being, which is that neuroplasticity, you're weaving something new, a new programming, not only for the web, but the web within you that your nervous system, that tree of life. Yeah. Yes, it's a very shamanic understanding of that. Yeah. 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 Like there's many, you know, many coming to the goddess practice thinking that now I'm going to learn how to be more goddessy or I'm going to be more woman or because I'm so tired of the masculine and blah, blah, blah. But what we discover in our practice is that we are just bringing that spiritual heat to those frozen boxes yeah. that we live in. And then we are returned back into a, a 
an expression that is unique through each one of us. It's not defined by these few choices that we, we think we have. We're creating yeah. something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. Is there anything else you would like to add? <laughs> no, I think this has been, been wonderful. There is a, it's a goddess group in India that I also practice with. They call the Ten Wisdom Goddesses, Ten Mahavidyas. And they are also this kind of, like I talked about the whole of mirror. It's just that kind of mirroring different parts of ourselves. And many of the, the mirrors are actually quite grotesque and repulsive. And some of them are very attractive and alluring. But all of them are showing us that if, like, I can spend my life engaging with only the surface of things, yeah? Resisting and moving away from the unwanted and chasing that morosity and the wanted. But in that, I would spend my life on the surface. And these goddesses, they, they are almost like, they are like doors that will just always be there in the way. You know, we, we think that one day we're going to have this kind of perfect life where everything is, there's going to be no obstacles. But they show us that everything that appears in our life is a yogic door. It is an opportunity for us to engage in a way that we can begin to see what's underneath the surface of this aspect of ourselves and of our lives. And in engaging that way, we begin to see, you know, with transparent eyes, we begin to see that luminous field, which is underneath all of this, yeah, that the scientists call the quantum field of possibilities. And we begin to see that, oh, even all these seemingly fixed forms that look so far away from each other, you know, we are all arising from the same roots. So that, you know, in goddess practice, you don't have to get rid of forms in order to come to union. Our diversity, our differences, all of that are portals into the union, that all of this is an expression of. (laughs) I love that. You just have such a beautiful, clear way that's also very poetic, actually, to describe it. And I can sense (laughs) the depth of the journey that you've been on in order to to have that clarity. It's it's extraordinary. Thank you. That takes great dedication and commitment. And I'm sure, as you said, you've been reaching the goddess at times, but you have still shown up time after time after time after time. And uh, I really, I really honor that. Mm, Amazing. Thank you. I received received deeply. Thank you. And I think it's so fitting we're doing this today on Lucia, which is to celebrate the light and the darkness. And that is, I feel, what you bring. You bring that light uh, to help us see in the darkness. Thank you. For more information about Chamelee and all the amazing courses she runs, visit awakeningwomen.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.